0: Welcome, pudding people, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host Ken Seymour. Today, I have a guest that is a world traveler. He's an actor. He's a comedian. He is David Mills. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi. <laughs>
0: Hopefully, not too, not too overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, um, I, I can, I can manage. Uh, good. Um, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of excited to have you on for a variety of different reasons. I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy, specifically. I've uh, been following a, a variety of different performers over the years, and just absolutely love the art form as it is. Um, I, I have to say, I was I was particularly tickled. I saw a small thing that you did in that guy that was a, a bit on pronoun. Uh, uh, confusion, <laughs> and that right. was that was just particularly fun. Uh, does a lot right. of does a lot of your comedy kind of revolve around um, uh, around um, language, or do you tend to focus on a more storytelling type of style?
1: It, it's funny you say that. Um, not funny, but what I mean to say is, I do feel like uh, you know the best comedy is really. About language, you know, not necessarily as directly as that particular skit where, uh, or that particular routine where I'm, I'm talking about words, but it's, it's all about the use of specific words and being really um, precise. The comedy that I like and the comedy that I do is about precision, right? So it's about getting saying things um, in a really specific way. So I have to spend a lot of time getting the words right. I remember a comic friend of mine, we sort of started out around the same time, and she kept um, struggling as a comic, and she had some good ideas, but she never put the time in, personally, or I could observe, to writing the actual joke out. She would just try and express the idea. Well, that's fine, but oftentimes that means there's no punchline, or it's not set up, it's not built um, to... to uh, give the audience a kind of surprise or or a journey or something so i guess what i'm what i've encouraged her to do is actually write her comedy down like in with, with pa- paper and pen you know like literally because then you have to think what's the word i want to use to say what i want to mean here and um so it's a long way of answering your question but i would say that all my work is really about language and um whether I'm being narrative or whether I'm a comment on a certain, uh, something happening in the news or, or, you know, I do a lot of sort of commentary in my comedy, uh, but the way I do it is to think hard about the words I use.
0: So how did you get your start into this particular path? This is stand-up comedy is a, a, um... I don't know if I'd call it a fickle mistress, but it's it's hmm. it is sometimes a a difficult type of profession to to pursue. Um, what kind of lit the fire that put you on that path?
1: I was an actor, I'm still an actor, but i when I started as an actor, um, you know, I was waiting around a lot for the phone to ring and I wanted to be on stage, so I just started writing my own material and i started not as a stand-up but as kind of a monologist. you know doing these sort of one-person narrative shows but then i wanted you know and I, I did okay with that but it wasn't like there was that much work in that either there was more than there was the acting but there still wasn't as much as i needed and wanted so i started appearing and hanging out at this comedy club in san francisco in the 90s and, you know, I could get on there for five minutes or 10 minutes pretty regularly, two or three times a week. So that was a way for me to develop material for my solo shows. But but it, it quickly evolved into just doing stand-up. And I sort of let go of these kind of narrative monologues and just started focusing on a kind of different, uh, a different kind of form that was comedy.
0: Who do you think are some of the people that really influenced how you how you developed? I mean, I saw that um, you, you've you mentioned uh, Sandra Bernhardt and Paul Lynn specifically. Were those yeah. kind of key yeah. players in the formative process that was you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think Sandra Bernhardt, a lot of people don't know her early work. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that film, Without You, I'm Nothing. hmm but it's really seminal you know in american stand up so much of the way that she positions herself around celebrity is what we do today very naturally you know and and and, and her kind of way of being being a celebrity and yet commenting on on it on at the same time was really new really fresh when she was doing it and um and her the way she weaves jokes Kind of conventional stand-up into all of a sudden you're in the midst of a story and then you're back in conventional stand-up you know so she's one of the greats and she worked with a, a director at that time i've forgotten his name I, I feel bad to say but he was also very central in that kind of uh approach so she she remains to me a real touchstone paul lind i mean again another great american humorist that people don't, don't really think about but his his, uh, his attitude and his ability to kind of uh, make fun of anyone and anything, but do it in this very uh, self-depreciating, self-deprecating way, really, um, really was uh, influential, yeah, for me. And then some British comics. There's a, well, actually an Irish comic by the name of Dave Allen, who was really big in the 70s. And I used to watch him on PBS growing up in the, the 80s. He would show up on PBS. And he always sat in a chair and he always wore a suit. And he was very elegant and very, very funny. These long sort of winding stories. So I've taken a lot from him as well.
0: Well, I have to say, uh, um, Lind has always been one of my favorites now. I, it, maybe it's just because I have a soft spot from growing up with the um, animated uh, animated mm-hmm. charlotte's web it's just like glot, glot, mm-hmm. glot. just like yeah that that voice just always just kind of sticks with you and and the way that he yeah you would you would begin laughing before he ever got to the punchline just because he absolutely. was having as much fun as anybody else in the process of delivering everything um, Re-
1: absolutely his delivery was so signature no one no one has done it before and no one's done it after and he, the way he used his face and the way he would pause before he would deliver the the line i mean he was just his eyes were so expressive he's so funny and i find myself on youtube watching old clips of him on hollywood squares right you know i mean it's that funny you know it just it's really really good stuff i i try and mainline it you know <laughs> as much as i can so huh. a lot of a lot of people ask me who i look at these days and there are very few comedians i look at these days. I mean, I'm out at the club, so I see a lot of comics. But I I almost never watch a full special. Uh, if I want to watch comedy, I'll I'll go look at old Paul Lynn clips, or reach back on YouTube into Dave Allen or Bob Newhart or you know Don Rickles or Rodney Dangerfield oh, yeah. or Joan Rivers or uh, um, Phyllis Diller. You know what I mean? From from another era, really, is what is what inspires me most.
0: Well, and you worked with Joan Rivers. Uh right you were
1: I never worked with Joan Rivers. Did you not work with no. Joan Rivers? I thought I
0: saw no. that you were involved with with something something on her. I'm going to have to look no. at my notes again.
1: No. 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 Boy, that would have been good. I think there was a review one time that that uh said I was in the in the tradition of Joan Rivers. Ah. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but that that's the only kind of association I've had with her.
0: Quick quick acerbic wit maybe? <laughs>
1: maybe that's it
0: maybe that's it yeah uh yeah but uh so what where did you take that jumping off point you said you you were in acting first did you get into that in like high school and college or was that something that you determined later in life
1: no it was it was definitely high school and college and i was getting out of college i was beginning to i was in san diego in san diego and i was beginning to act in the community in the professional theaters in san diego and the you know the the more kind of mid-level theaters there as well. Uh, so I was beginning to have some success, but not enough to fulfill me. And also, I, I thought if I could do these kind of have some success around a kind of long-form monologue, that could give me some exposure. That would then help me get acting parts. Um, so that that's that was the journey.
0: So okay you've performed in the United States you've performed overseas. I've always kind of wondered there's the, I, I expect maybe maybe this is just the the ignorance in and the non-traveler in me that there would be a little bit a different of um, a feel for the types of audiences that you might get between the, the two different locations. What is yes. something that, that was unique about performing in the U.K. compared to the United States?
1: Well, you know, I'm in New York now, having been in, based in London for 23 years. And I've just come back to New York. I really came back in February. I went back to London for May, but now I'm back again. So I was here February through April, went back for May. Now I'm back in New York for the duration <laughs> or for the foreseeable future. And I would say that one of the things that that is really uh, notable about performing in London versus performing in New York is that London audiences and comics are much more international. So New York is very diverse, but it's not as international. Hmm. So oftentimes on a uh, bill in London, there'll be, let's say, six comics. Two of them will be British. There'll be maybe an American, maybe someone French. Increasingly, they're Chinese comics. Chinese are coming up the ranks. South African, Indian, um, Australian, Canadian. London is really a, a global comedy center. So... It feels, you know, so, so you, the comics are international and also the audiences. So the host will start by saying, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And people will be from all over the world, you know, and you get that in New York, but really only if you're in Times Square, that kind of area, because that's where all the tourists are. But in the UK, you can be pretty far away from London and still feel an international flavor to the audience. Uh, not always, but often. So that's one of the things that is immediately different. And you have to ensure that your comedy isn't so referential to British culture that the people, your audience, you know, goes over their head. So you have to find things that are a bit more universal. I guess that's that's one of the key differences. Have you
0: noticed different? let's say, reaction styles, are are, are the general attitudes within the crowds basically the same? You know, we're all human, we all react the same, or is there a a cultural kind of shift?
1: I think there is a little bit. You know, Americans generally want you to succeed, and Brits are a little more ambivalent. (laughs) So they are happy for you to fail you know Americans will if you if you really bomb well you can of course you can bomb here in, in the US but they want you to succeed They're, they'll laugh if they see you struggling oftentimes they'll laugh because it's uncomfortable for them but Brits are perfectly happy for you to be you know just you know flailing up there crickets and um, you know so they don't they don't give you they don't cut you too much too much slack
0: when you're when you're creating your when you're creating your routine that you're going to be doing since we were talking a little bit about the 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 language being important how how does that affect how you structure your your presentation um, you know, we, we talked about, uh, some of the, the storytellers. I mean, I, I, remember things like, uh, looking at the, the historical things like Samuel Clemens going around and just telling stories. I mean, I see a lot of people that even do that today. I mean, people may make fun of me by comparing Kevin Smith to that, but it's a mm-hmm. similar kind. I always felt it's just telling stories, life relating life. Yeah. Um, how do you do it? Is is that kind of the the uh, what we're talking about when you're talking about creating that kind of monologue, or is it more akin to uh, creating uh, almost a character in of itself, like a Shakespearean
1: monologue? I, I I sort of always play myself, but I don't pretend that I'm being authentic. Does that make sense? <laughs> like it's clear I'm joking. I do this stuff about LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. You know, again, universe, everyone knows LinkedIn, right? And I talk about how I'm looking for a job on LinkedIn. Well, I'm not looking for a job on LinkedIn. You know, personally, I'm not looking for a job on LinkedIn. But I know LinkedIn, and I have looked for jobs on LinkedIn, and I know what that experience is. But instead of saying, oh, I once I looked for a job on LinkedIn, I just say, like, oh, I'm looking for a job on LinkedIn. And then I I, I just act as if I were. So it's like playing a part of someone who's looking for a job on LinkedIn, I mean, that's a kind of a small example, but I do things about gun crime. And I talk as if I've experienced gun crime or not experienced that I'm a that I shot someone. You know, I know that sounds hard to imagine that that's funny, but what I try and do is make it so absurd because it is absurd what's going on. Right. And you really only need to talk about it. You know, oh, you know, walking in without a license, buying a gun and being able to walk around with it all day long, it's totally absurd. So instead of saying this is absurd, I just talk about it like it is and everyone can see it's absurd. Right. (laughs) So as far as structure goes, I'm constantly kind of shifting into uh, different kind of scenarios, putting me as this character in these different scenarios. So that's kind of the structure I use. To, but I, I but what I don't do is talk about my actual life. I'm not someone that talks about my relationship or my family. I don't do that. That's not my style.
0: So it's kind of the uh, Monty Python approach. Uh, bring bring the absurdity in story form.
1: Yeah, there's 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 some of that. Yeah, I, some of that definitely.
0: Now, one thing that's always felt a little absurd to me is kind of the true crime obsession that so many people have had. And I was looking at some of your, uh, some of your work, you actually got to play DB Cooper in, in a a role that seems like, uh, were you kind of familiar with uh, DB Cooper before you did the role?
1: I was, yeah. Uh, Obviously it was being, it was filmed in the UK. It was a British filmmaker so they are much less familiar than db cooper than than i am but i uh, i knew of him and i knew that he was the uh inspiration for agent daryl cooper in twin peaks so that was uh the the part that uh kyle mclaughlin played it was kyle mclaughlin wasn't it
0: i do believe that is accurate yes
1: yeah um so yeah, my my family's on the West Coast, and my siblings are up in Portland, Oregon, and then that's kind of the part of where he, uh, you know, became famous, if you will. So um, yeah, I'm I'm aware of DB Cooper, and I was thrilled to play the part. I I only wish I could play again, you know.
0: <laughs> so I I just in my mind I'm imagining this. So you're you're putting on the suit you've got the glasses you know you got the whole thing going on and i'm just in my mind for the for the documentary they're they're creating the scene you're there and uh, i just hear the words but can you be more quietly menacing <laughs> it's just it's like can, can, now you don't look angry enough you don't look like you're going to do anything to the plane can you be can you be more menacing
1: <laughs> right Yeah. Well, I mean, what's so great about him is no one really knows anything about him. So you can completely create this entire character on your own, you know, and and fill it with as much menace or whatever you want, because he was he was a blank slate, you know.
0: Yeah, that that this that, always been something that's been entertaining to me is just uh, some some of this interest in in the things that we don't exactly know what happened, but people will revisit it over and over again, and it's 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 fun. It's it's kind of a a fun pastime. Um, it's just c- kind of like having a sequel to a, a popular movie that comes out uh, repeatedly. You're you are in a sequel to the Indiana Jones. That's that's, that's out right, here. Yes. That, yes. how did that happen?
1: Um, you know, a lot of times um, in, uh, uh, how do I want to say this? So uh, a lot of the big blockbusters are filmed in the UK because Hollywood gets a real discount, uh tax sort of discount. So it's cheaper for them to film in the UK. There's a lot of talent sort of, um, not just acting talent, but uh, production talent, costumes, makeup, production design, props. That's All that is really strong in the UK. So it makes sense sometimes for these big blockbusters to be filmed in the UK. And it's cheaper for them. It's funny how this is all about money, right? <laughs> it's cheaper for them to hire American actors based in the UK, sometimes, than to fly actors from the US over to play parts. So I was often auditioning for, you know, Avengers films and, uh, you know, uh, big, big blockbusters like that, big superhero films in the UK. And I didn't get most of them, but I did get a small role in uh, Indiana Jones. So, and, and what's funny is they oftentimes when you see these films, like Batman is an example, the most recent one, when they film, they, they film in the UK, but when they want to film New York City, they film in Glasgow, because there are a few blocks of Glasgow that look like Wall Street. And if you have a vision of what Wall Street is in your mind, those sort of classical column buildings, that kind of thing, and they can CGI around that, so they filmed, there's, you can see it in the trailer. There's a ticker tape parade, which is a kind of important moment in the new Indiana Jones film. And they filmed that whole sequence up in Glasgow.
0: <laughs> That's too much fun. Did you get a chance to interact with uh, either Harrison Ford or John Reese Davies or anything? Get a chance to, no, to get. No, unfortunately not.
1: Oh. Unfortunately not. No, I saw, I thought I saw Harrison Ford. In the you know passing by and i was like oh my god it's harrison ford and then the person on the film who was with me like you know you have like a steward someone who's taking care of you or whatever he said oh no that's harrison ford's stunt double
0: <laughs> look just like him
1: just like him
0: uh, i feel like i need one of those on on certain days uh. yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that would be nice
0: so okay, uh, let's let's touch a little bit. You're talking about being in New York right now. I, the 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 club that you're performing at at the moment is uh, Pangea, correct? Uh, That's right. That club looks absolutely gorgeous. It doesn't yeah. evoke, um, to my mind at least, uh, what you would normally expect if you're going to go out for a night on the town and want to experience comedy. It's not the normal comedy club sort of thing that's right uh, yeah. what what is what what is the lure of Pangea give it a, a verbal description for our listeners that have not been to visit New York thus far
1: uh, Pangea is a real old school New York downtown uh, mostly jazz and cabaret venue so most of the performance there is music-based And um, all sorts of uh, well-known, high-profile people have gone through there at one point in their career. It's not big enough to, you know, you've got to pass through it because if you're going up in your career, you're going to want to move to bigger spaces to make more money. And if you're coming down in your career, you may... Find yourself there again. <laughs> I like to think of myself as going up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, um,
0: it, is, it is like, like I said, it's gorgeous. Uh,
1: yeah, it's great, and 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 it. I think because it has such a strong old school flavor, there's a lot to subvert. So you can go in and be really different quite easily. Um, so that's what I. That's what I like to do. I like to be the you know the thing that feels distinctive in the mix like I don't want I, I I want to find venues and be unexpected in those venues
0: when you're doing your performance at this location, one thing that 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 just kind of itched the back of my mind is kind of the 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 change in. How stand-up has presented over the years, and and what what where I'm going with this? What I mean is, you know, when you go nowadays, there's the stage, the the performers on the stage. Generally speaking, there's going to be that separation. There's going to be that distance. There looks like there is the opportunity to have more of a throwback interaction, like wandering amidst the tables. With this, is that is that kind of what happens?
1: Yeah, well, it's funny you you say that. So I, I, I did the show twice in April at Pangea. And now I'm back for four shows, two in June and two in July. And I work with a producer, director. And uh, we have thought a lot about the show since April. And we want to break down that wall even more than we have in the past. And so I think people can expect that I'm going to be in the audience uh going forward not for the whole show but really have moments where i sort of wander into the audience and use that and and kind of disrupt the expectation you know um yeah i want it to feel really uh really different i what i don't want it to feel like is i want people to think they're going to see a show like you know where they just sit back and i perform a show and it's you know, got a beginning, middle and an end and all this, all those conventions. But, but, but from this show tonight, it's going to feel very different. I'm going to really, it's going to feel much more like, a. I don't know what it's going to feel like, but it's, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So I will be in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> it does.
0: It does seem like a wonderful opportunity to be able to make it feel personal to the people that yeah. are there.
1: Yeah, and, that's... and for it to change every show, you know what I mean, for it to really so you feel like you're seeing something tonight and then tomorrow night, it's gonna be very different. And to me, that's an exciting experience for audience members, you know, I think I, I get bored of seeing things, you see them like the fourth show in a run of six, and they've already done it four times. So you begin to feel like, well, what's special about this? So I want to, I want I want it to really change every night, you know.
0: Yeah, it looks like it'll be a lot of fun. I, um, I just, <clears throat> I'm trying, to, I'm trying. To, it's, it's, it's like on the one of those things that's on the tip of my tongue. That to kind of feel maybe like um, a '60s Atlantic City sort of, uh, sort yeah. of vibe. Um,
1: I love that idea. Yeah, just you know, I also love the idea. And just think of this visual, right? Like maybe. I may have made this up but like Greenwich Village kind of 60s all these bohemians sitting on the floor and the performer maybe a folk singer or a storyteller or whatever on a stool and everyone sort of sat around you know what I mean I mean we're not exact it's not going to be exactly that but that feel of like like a meeting almost you know of, what I mean
0: Yeah that it's it's, it's cozy it's it's, it's personal cozy. yeah and that okay. that seems like so much fun. Now, if you've never been down to Bloomington, Indiana, you should definitely come down and, and perform at the Comedy Attic. It is a fantastic venue and the the uh, stand-up comedy is alive and well a, in Bloomington. Good to hear it. And uh, we we love uh we love the the person that runs the 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 place does a fantastic job and always brings in a um a wide array of different types of performers that will generally you're going to find somebody that you like at any given point it's just it's just wonderful so yeah you, well there's you, a
1: great there's a great scene i know there's a great scene in the in the midwest so i'm i'm keen to get out there
0: yeah you should definitely do that um now you mentioned that you kind of in our closing time you mentioned that you had auditioned to some big blockbusters some some comic book films now that's kind of my wheelhouse. A lot of what we talk about on this podcast is the intersection of uh, media in terms of film and television and things like that, right. and uh, right. the source of comics. Now, were you, by any chance, a comic book fan?
1: Yes, I was.
0: So who who was who was who? Well, I guess I should say what were the titles that that drew you? Uh,
1: I was a uh, I was a big fan of the Frank Miller Daredevil era. Uh, that was my that was my biggest, I had been a comic book fan, but quite kind of broad based Marvel DC kind of consume anything. But then that, that run of Frank Miller daredevil really inspired me. And, um, and really when that ended, I, I kind of, I kind of let go of comics.
0: That happens. We, we, we make those connections with certain, certain artists, certain writers, um, I know yeah. a lot of people are kind of feeling that that bit of uh, pain today. As of the time of recording this, uh, John Ramita just passed away yes. yesterday.
1: Yes, I saw that, and uh, saw.
0: he was iconic in in what he did. Yeah. So okay, well let's let's do this. I I've started asking this hypothetical question uh, to anybody that comes on the show, um, mm. and. Uh, So there's this kind of a two-part thing. So if uh, part one is if you had a chance to play any comic character, whether it's Marvel, DC, Image, Independence, whatever, in a film or television, theater, production, whatever, who would you choose and why?
1: I mean, I think I would choose Bullseye. Ah. a good choice so bullseye you recall was the kind of daredevil's arch nemesis Mm -hmm. that daredevil almost killed and um but he came back you know and he was a real madman real like a joker kind of character you know real sadistic um sinister you know nefarious kind of character and um i think that would just be such a thrill to get go that dark.
0: Yeah, that's and you know as much as I like Colin Farrell uh, his take was very kind of over the top and I'd love to see just a uh, a more subdued cuz he was de- he's definitely insane but he and and I'd see what you're saying with the Joker but he wasn't kind of he's not going to be throwing out, you know, bombs and tear gas and jokes and things like that. It's it's all about achieving whatever his awful goal is and that that can be a lot of fun to play
1: and you know it's it feels to me that he's quite you know it's bullseye right so he's really focused and his mania it doesn't spill out in the same way as the joker does it's really targeted and and honed and i think even more terrifying because of that
0: yeah definitely so and I always do kind of my fan casting sort of thing too when I look at this because I I look at uh, mannerisms and and kind of the general look of who I'm talking to and and try and come up with it's like well where would I slot this person and when I when when I was looking at some of your films and some of the way you carry it, it's like I thought Ben Urick was the first thing.
1: Oh right, that's a great. That would be a great part as well. Yeah. In fact, I I auditioned to play Ben Urick. Really. Yeah. He had a small part in a, another Marvel TV show. I forget which one it wasn't daredevil, but, but he was Ben, you know, the character was called Ben Yurick, and he was a reporter. Right. And I thought, Oh, they're referring, this is Ben Yurick, who I know from the daredevil titles. And now he's made an appearance in one of the other ones. I forget which one, I think one that came and went, I forget which one it was. Um, yeah, but that would have been a thrill
0: that's that's definitely a, a fun imaginary game now the second part of this question is more more general. Um, you know okay. we always have the imagination the the, the genie you find a, a lamp you know, a magic lamp and you a genie comes out of it. But this genie has been living in Hollywood uh, for a long time. And his wishes are very, very specific. So he's, he's not going to be able to grant you wealth or uh, cars or mystical powers. But he can grant you the opportunity to work with any three artists that you admire, whether they're actors, directors, uh, musicians. Who would you choose?
1: Wow. i mean there's so many again you know what, what a thrill um i would love to work with um i would love to work with spike lee i would love to work with um I'd love to work with Wong Kar-wai. And I'd like to work with I've forgotten his name. <laughs> <laughs> but this Greek director who directed um Triangle of Sadness.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's that, those are some good choices. I know with with Spike Lee specifically, he always had such a visceral approach to how um yeah. How how his films would 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 appear, and I always appreciated that kind of raw feeling. Um, absolutely, so too much fun, too much fun. Uh, well, okay, so in kind of a closing sort of a thing here, you're going to be at um, Pangea at uh, June fifteenth and the twenty second, and July sixth and the thirteenth. Right. That's right. Um, after that. If our listeners wanted to find out what it was that David Mills was going to be up to, what is the best way to follow you on social media?
1: The best way is to uh go on to my Instagram and it's at David Mills D E P T, as if you're looking at say David Mills Department, right? But the abbreviation, so David Mills Dept. And uh from there, I mean, I, I put everything on in my stories mostly. But then I also have a link tree from there, and you can see my website, you can see my IMDb, you can see my newsletter. Um, so that's where I I go into more detail about what's coming up.
0: Well, fantastic! I I want to thank you again for taking the time to come on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and. And to give us a glimpse into what the life of of being a stand up comic and actor is like, we always appreciate that. And I hope that uh, you have just absolutely packed rooms that you play to. And uh, thank you. And I look forward to hopefully um, having you on again sometime when you when you when you finally get that part when you become absolutely bullseye.
1: absolutely. I'll, you'll be the first one I call when I get that Marvel Marvel film when I get bullseye. <laughs> you'll all be in touch.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, sir.
1: So great. It's great to be here. Thank you.